You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. Good morning to everyone. It's morning and evening to everyone. It's evening. Welcome back to the TechNest podcast. We've got a great guest for you today, Nick Latz, the CRO, Chief Revenue Officer at Zigo, powered by Paley's. At Zigo, Nick leads their go to market. He's focused on strategy, marketing, engagement as well as sales execution. In this episode, we're gonna get into the weeds a little bit about managing and operating apartment buildings, but leveraging tech to do so. We're gonna talk about the average cost of turnover unit. Did you know it could be 4,000 bucks? I sure as heck didn't know that. We talk about the average retention rate that a majority of management companies are aiming for, and if they should be, or if they're losing out on doing so, as well as other items that operators are thinking about uh, where they're looking at the numbers, what the KPIs are interesting to them. And uh, you know the fact that only half of managers regularly communicate with residents to their home phones. I don't even understand how they're. How else are you communicating? <laughs> anyway, well, we're going to get into all that and the details and more. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy this if you're one who likes to get into the weeds. So kick back. Hope you have a good cup of coffee or a nice little bourbon and enjoy. Well, hey Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nate. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I'm excited for our conversation. Uh, glad we had a chance to connect a little bit before the show here and find some commonalities in our in our lines of work here. Uh, I think we've got a, a great topic for discussion today. Uh, but the best way to kick it off, as always, uh, please go ahead, introduce yourself, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sounds good. So I'm the CRO of Zigo, uh, powered by Paley's. And at Zigo, we are a resident experience management platform. Uh, that serves the residential real estate industry. Uh, so we've been in this space a long time, serving you know, multifamily, single family, and HOA customers. All right, and uh, Zigo, powered by Paley's, I, I, I kind of like asked you about that right off the stop here. What's the relationship here? Is a little bit of a, a, a brand marriage almost, if you will. Like, can you share that with us? Because uh, I think that gets into a little bit of the founding or backstory behind Zigo and where it is today. Yeah, good good question. So, um, Zigo is a company has been in this space, been in this residential real estate space for for twenty years, but the Zigo brand is new. And so, for eighteen years of our history, we were known as Paley's and um, had the Paley's brand. And during that time, we were largely a payment processor for the residential real estate industry. Um, and two or three years ago we really started expanding our product set and broadening our product set and starting to serve kind of multiple touch points across the resident experience from move in to move out. And as we did that, um, some of our legacy customers were confused in terms of, hey, you know, pay lease, your name literally means paying the lease and, and that's what I use your service for. And so I don't, I don't kind of view you guys as, as kind of doing more. This, this new stuff kind of confuses me because the name is Paley's. And so we've, we've broadened our name, rebranded to Zigo to more encapsulate you know, the vision and, and um, what we've become is more of kind of a fully functioning resident experience 
you know, lifecycle platform. <laughs> As a fellow marketer, uh, I understand the pains and struggles uh, and have gone through rebrands. So I applaud you guys on taking that step. It's weird when you say a business got to have like have courage in some instances, but it takes a bit of courage to to change name and logo and, and go forward with that. Um, so, so, so you described being a payment processor. There's rent payments. Everybody knows rent payments, but what are all the the possible you know payment processing needs of a of a building? And uh, maybe you can share a few examples here because I think that uh, the obvious is rent, but there's more lesser obvious that are also very common and high demand. Yeah, there's rent payments. Obviously, in the in the HOA uh, segment, there's dues payments. Now more and more, we're seeing kind of HO or amenity payments or, or lifestyle payments for different services um, within a community. But but the other kind of big innovation that's happened in and around payments is hey, there'll, there'll always be rental payments, and that'll be always kind of the bulk of the big payment dollars that renters have. But the innovation in and around kind of fintech and in and around rent payments in particular is increased. And so that could be things like, hey, now, you know, uh, you know, residents are able to uh, pay payments, you know, with with a mobile app. And so before they had to get in their desktop computer and go through go to a bunch of places. And now a resident can literally make a payment um, at a traffic light with three clicks. Right. And so there's been innovation around kind of the UI and, and the mobility. There's been innovation around how easy it is. Now with two clicks, you can kind of log on to your bank account and not have to kind of enter your bank account information, your rooting account information. Uh, now there's more innovation around you know, how do we reduce fraud? You know, for for our owners and operators, how do we reduce the chance that residents make a payment and they don't actually collect the money because it didn't go through? And so there's lots. You know, there's there's well, there'll always be a certain amount of types of payments, which is amenity payments and rental payments, and that'll stay the same in our industry. But the ease of use around that, and the different use cases around that, are, are what are changing. Got it. Yeah, and and I appreciate that clarity. Obviously, you're not advocating for making payments at a traffic light, but I understand the visual <laughs> here, right? It's that fast and easy, uh, which goes a long way into and and you you mentioned at the top here about the tenant experience or resident experience. Walk me through, what does that even encompass? Because that's obviously more than just payments, right? Yeah, we really think about the resident experience is all those critical touch points that a resident has with their property and a resident has with their property staff from move in through move out. And so those include things like resident onboarding, at the beginning of the process. Um, it includes things like payments, it includes things like maintenance requests, uh, amenity reservations, amenity usage packages, you know, smart devices, smart locks, all those different key resident touch points uh, increasingly are becoming digitized, increasingly are being innovated on and made easier to use and ultimately improving the resident experience. I, I like to believe uh, all resident uh, or all buildings should be offering uh, bird scooters on reserve at the building <laughs> so I don't have to like find one on the sidewalk. <laughs> Those are great. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah, I've seen a few doing that and I can understand why that that, that matters here. Uh, and certainly, um, and one particular, I wanna, I wanna pick on packages for a hot second here because uh, obviously during the pandemic, right, the everything getting delivered through mail just blew up. And we were already, you know, apartment building owners were already struggling on figuring out how are they gonna handle the influx of 
packages and probably more so prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, they're just kind of ad hocing, you know, Google sheet, or maybe they just had like a, a, you know, handwritten sheet and even the package delivery room in our building, uh, recently switched over from paper to now they've got a digital signature. What are the trends you're seeing there with apartment building owners and are more and more buildings finally saying like, Hey, we need to take package delivery more seriously because of the impact on our residents. Yeah, I think package proliferation is a real thing like we all see. I think when you look at the data, it shows something like, hey, the volume of packages coming to our houses, coming to our apartments um, are doubling essentially every three years in volume. And so when you, when you, and that's expected to carry over into the future too. So if you think we have problems now, as we walk into our communities and see packages all over the place, you know, behind <laughs> the desk, around the side, you know, that, that's ultimately going to get you know, worse. And so we are seeing kind of three different models. Uh, that apartment operators are using the you know the first model is you know kind of the do-it-yourself model for operators or do-it-yourself model for front desk staff, um, and the change of the innovation there is hey instead of having the resident kind of come up to the desk or instead of having you know uh, the the front desk uh, call the resident and letting them know they have a package more scalable notification communication options, right? And that includes things like the ability for the front desk or the leasing staff to you know, scan the package, um, know who that, what resident that package is going to, and then giving that, pack, giving that resident automated communication, whether it's by email or text or an in-app message that they've got a package and here's where it is. That, so that's kind of option one, the do-it-yourself. Option two is package lockers where... Um, uh, you know, properties are, are buying um, actual package lockers to sit within the property. And, and then the kind of delivery, UPS, Amazon, you know, puts those packages right in the uh, specific locker and then alerts the resident what number their package is in. And then the third model is actually uh, off-site package concierge or package management, right? Where it's almost like a lockbox model where you can tell your delivery drivers, hey, actually deliver our packages here off-site, and then we are going to kind of notify our residents or kind of, you know, that third party will deliver those packages to our residents' doorstep in a time that's convenient for them. So those are the three models we're seeing that are becoming most common. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with a few of the the last uh, model you said there. The more I think about it, I think our building definitely went with the the first one because we don't have lockers here. Yeah. (laughs) So... Uh, so, so one of the things that is always fascinating to me when I, when we talk through like these automated services, you were talking packaging, you got payments, uh, you know, the parking, uh, communications and all that kind of jazz. So who is actually using the platform? Who's actually using the software Zego? And, you know, how do you get to them? Like, how do you get the, the product in their hands? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are a resident experience management platform served up through a mobile application. And so our users are the residents of these apartment buildings, but also, and just as important or even more, more so important is the actual property staff so that residents can interact with their property and their property staff members and vice versa. Uh, and so to your point, you know, how do you get adoption? How do you get usage? Uh, you know, the best way to get adoption usage, we see these, sometimes we roll these out across a broad portfolio 
and certain properties are getting much broader usage than others. Why is that the case? Well, it really does take commitment, buy-in, and process change from property staff perspective, right? And so we see the properties get the most buy-in, have staff members that understand and are bought into digitizing certain processes and doing it through a platform you know, like ours and using that to kind of change behavior, right? Because it's really typically a behavior change. And so there's a couple of things you can do that, to really juice that up. Um, one example would be the move-in process, right? There's many of our customers are digitizing and automating their resident onboarding process um, and using our platform to do that, right? So rather than, hey, saying the onboarding process is going to be a one-to-one communication or the onboarding process is going to be a set of a folder with a, a bunch of sheets of paper in it that you review and fill out, it's actually going to be a checklist between the mobile app. And so every resident that moves into the property needs to download the app to fill out that onboarding checklist process, which isn't optional, right? You do, you do it to get your keys. Things like that will drive adoption. Things like, hey, you need to make your first payment or you mean to make your security deposit through the app. Everybody, therefore, is going to download it. And then you can really, really drive high levels of engagement and adoption going forward. That's really smart. I, the, the checklist, I mean, there's just so many details to remember. And then also it's, you know, it's, it's good for both sides. It helps the staff really make sure everything's getting done that needs to get done. And I'm assuming then for something that doesn't get checked off the list or something, you know, that's where you guys can come in with the automated communications to, to keep with the resident to remind them of, you know, completing certain tasks. Yeah, there's different kind of settings that property staff can have, and it can be, you know, for, for certain ones that you want everybody to do, it can be as hard of a line as, hey, you know, you don't, you don't officially check in or you don't officially kind of get your keys so you do the fundamental pieces. And then there might be others where it's like, hey, this isn't a required action, but we are going to kind of drip email to you, right, that, that hey, the... Mm-hmm the laundry is open between nine and five and, you know, here's where you can access it. And you need to kind of confirm that you understand that. It, it, so it sounds like, um, you know, you could really appeal to a broad range of residents, but what about the, the management side? Is there an ideal operator or company that would find the most value or get the most value out of using Zego? Yeah, our, our customers and our, our sweet spot customer base are really those customers that want to appro- uh, improve and have above average resident experience. And therefore, those operators and those ownership groups that really care about resident retention and resident retention rates and want to bend the curve and have above average um, resident retention. And, you know, and what we see is that that's beneficial from a financial perspective. And that's true because... Every time you lose a resident, we've done some primary research on this. Every time you lose a resident, it costs about $3,500 to turn that unit. And turning that unit includes things like, hey, on av- you know, th- this will differ across different properties or across different regions or communities. But on average, when you aggregate it all together, um, you lose rent sometimes when you don't immediately have someone to move in. You have to make concessions. You have advertising and marketing costs associated with attracting and bringing in new residents. And you actually have some maintenance costs associated with the make ready and getting the unit ready for a new resident. You add all that up, it's about $3,500. And so it's very costly to have retention. And so leading operators are realizing, hey, every percentage point that I can increase my resident retention 
adds bottom line NOI. And so it makes financial sense to invest in this. So some buildings uh, and operators, you know, even though that when you re-up a lease, you, you may actually experience like maybe the rent doesn't go up, right? So there's potential loss rent in that re-up process, but you could come out on top because you're not incurring the costs that it would to turn over a unit. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. One way to think about it is um, even if lots of times, um, you know, operators are able to bring in residents at a higher level of rent than the renter that moves out. Right. But it costs $3,500 to turn these units. So say, you know, as an example for easy math, even if you're able to increase your rent by $200 a month from a new resident, it is still going to take you 18 months, $3,500 divided by 200 to break even on bringing in a new resident. That's a year and a half. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can totally understand that. And obviously the industry this year has it's been bonkers in the apartments industry as far as, you know, as demand has been as high as it's ever been, retention has been as high as it's ever been, vacancies as low as they've ever been, and we're not getting enough new starts. Um, how are you dealing with some of these macro forces to still rein, reinstate and demonstrate the value of something that, you know, helps with retention when the macro forces are almost really driving that for a lot of operators? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, you, you rewind 18 months ago during you know the, the, the first kind of stretch of COVID and retention was top of mind for everybody, right? Because rent growth wasn't positive and, and, and in many cases it was negative. And so everybody gets it then. And I think when you get into environments like we have today where rent growth is increasing, I think that the important thing to remember is that your residents having either a good experience or bad experience of your property are actually going to impact your ability to acquire new residents. Why is that true? It's true because of the proliferation of reviews and, you know, um, the, the, the amount, both the amount of reviews that, that properties are getting today, as well as the importance for future residents in, you know, not only looking at the property, not only touring the property, but actually we're looking at those review sites and using that as a basis to select what communities you move into. And so it's important for your residents to have a good experience because they're going to leave you good reviews, which is going to help you acquire new residents. You know, I, I, I have seen a little bit about this. Where are these reviews going, though? Whether they're putting them on Google or is there an apartment review site or are they posting directly to the operator's website? Um, it's a little bit of everything. You know, Google is certainly very popular. You know, the Googles, the Yelps of the world. Uh, there's some apartment-specific, you know, rating services, and um, and and then kind of direct reviews. Some some properties as a strategy will will attract direct reviews to their preferred website or platform. Now, are you guys uh, you're you're all nationwide? Are you international or focused just on the United States? Focused primarily on the United States. That's where 95% of our business is. And then within the United States, uh, what types of markets are you looking for that you find a you work best in? Really all geographic markets within the United States. Um, we work really well in. Okay. What is, what's something that you can point back to and say like, uh, was it, was, was a really effective strategy in being able to drive growth? I mean, you've been at this for 20 years. So obviously, uh, how we were doing things 20 years ago is quite dramatically different today if you were in startup mode, but what's been able to fuel that growth for that extended period of time? 
Yeah, I think one of the big things for us over the last four years, I mentioned during you know the first 15 years of our history, really being singularly focused on rental payments and, and dues payments. And over the last four years, really saying, okay, you know, how do we expand a, a beyond that? What other touch points are important um, from a customer perspective, listening to our customers on which, which of those touch points they are experiencing friction and expanding that way, right? And so if we get really good at payments and integrating payments, you know, can we get really good at maintenance requests and work orders? Can we get, get really good at kind of packages and general communications between properties and their residents? Can we get really good at, you know, unit access and, and fostering community engagement and fostering the overall community environment? So it's kind of starting from from a singular spot, if you will, and, and saying, okay, what are kind of the, the, the touch points close to payments that really matter and create an impact for the residents as well as the staff? Got it. What's something that hasn't worked or has been a failed experiment? You know, for us, we're, we're a software company um, and that's our, our DNA. Um, and from time to time, we've dabbled in hardware to place in around the software. And examples could be, we do a lot with utilities um, and utility billing and, and helping our customers with your utility payments. And we dabbled in, in, um, in the meter business, in the sub meter business, in terms of you know, how do we create those sub meters to kind of round out the service. We've, we've thought about several things around from a smart functionality side. We provide smart, um, smart apartment software, and we've thought, hey, should we be in the thermostat business or should we make our own locks? And over time, we've realized through some experiments that that's not who we are. And there's really, really good companies like Apple and Google and Slage on the lock side that are really good at making hardware. And so we've kind of moved away from, hey, we should make that hardware to ourselves. to the model we're at now is we should, we should partner with the best hardware makers in the world so that our customers have choice. I think that makes sense. I mean, those are some small companies that uh, may be tough to compete directly against. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I totally understand that. Let, I want to talk about the, the, the resident experience management report. Uh, so I, I, I picked up on this, you know, did a little bit of diligence, uh, digging into you guys, who you are, and found yeah. this one. What is it? Why do you create it? And what do you hope to accomplish with that? Yeah, we're excited about this resident experience management report. It's the first um, of its kind in terms of, you know, state of resident experience within multifamily. And it's something that we're going to produce, you know, every year going forward, we're going to do primary research. And so to develop this first report, we surveyed, you know, 600 multifamily operators um, across a bunch of different property types from, from small properties to large properties all over the country. And the basis of the report really is, hey, what is the resident experience? What does it mean to you? What's important? What's working well? And what's not working? Um, and a bunch of tips and tricks around how to improve it, a bunch of recommendations from different operators across the industry about how to improve the resident experience. And then we've also got some data. We were able to survey the market. There really wasn't, I shared earlier, it cost $3,500 to turn a unit. The reason we did primary research on it is because you know we did a bunch of research on this before 
And there's no kind of data set or there's no kind of shared point of view within the industry on what it costs to turn a unit. So we did a bunch of primary research around that. There's not a lot of data sets around, hey, what is average retention across apartment buildings, across different types of apartments, as well as different you know geographies and regions. And so we did a bunch of primary research around that. So we're really excited, not only because it provides kind of actionable advice, recommendations, and best practices to operators, but we do have some unique data in that report that we feel like the rest of the industry you know wasn't getting before that we're going to maintain, update, refresh, and improve every year. I'm excited for this because it sounds it's not just, you know, hey, who's paying rent online, not paying rent online. But this is really getting into some of the details that could easily get missed in how a building is managed or then how it's reported on. Um, And as you said, like uh, talking about the resident experience, I think even that we're going to have to say that a lot more just to get that into everyone's vocabulary. It's not something that has really been talked about. We hear how much is rent. Uh, or, you know, uh, even just classes of building, but we don't hear a lot of emphasis on the resident experience, which ultimately, uh, if that's high, you should be able to command a higher amount of rent and certainly make out better on the investment side. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, we're going to, I'm going to shift it here a little bit. Um, and so I've got two segments that uh, we do towards the, the bottom of the show. First one is called For the Future. Uh, so this one is going to be a little bit of curveball here. I want to change up the questions from some of the episodes in the past. Every once in a while, I do some edits. Uh, and so as you, uh, I gave you the cheat sheet. You got the notes beforehand on some of the, the questions. Yep. You might have noticed there's only three because I'm going to make one up on the fly here. But for the future Uh-oh. is a segment where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Nick, you ready to play? Let's do it. All right. First one. This is easy. What does Zigo look like one year from now? I think one year from now, you know, Zigo is fully synonymous. The Zigo brand is fully synonymous with the resident experience, uh, not only from a product perspective, but from you know a best practice perspective, from a thought leadership perspective, and therefore, when owners and operators want to improve the resident experience, they come come to Zigo. Um, not just to buy our product, but but for advice, for best practices, and to learn from others in the industry. Question number two, and this is this is the curveball here. When, uh, not when, how will Web three impact the apartment industry? Oh man, that's a tough one because I don't even know uh, what Web three is. Uh, Neither is do I. Fully. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> Look, I think I think Web 3.0 from from you know my understanding is kind of the and, and I'm no expert here, but I think it's I think it's kind of the mix between you know the virtual and the physical, right? And and I think there's different use cases for multifamily, um, and whether that's bringing people together in community in new ways. And I think the multifamily industry does that in terms of hey, there's physical community. But are there kind of digital type services and interactions and resident engagement things that you can layer on top with with Web 3.0, so to speak, um, kind of experiences? You know, probably. And so I think there'll be some some interesting use cases down the road. There you go. Uh, what's one industry trend you think will continue, but you wish would go away? One thing we hear from the market, we hear from our customers is man, there is really good 
innovation within technology and multifamily, right? Within the last three to five years, more so than there has been in the past. So that's a good thing. I think people are excited about that. I think people see the potential to improve their operations from that. I think what they don't like is there's so many startups in the space right now pointed to one specific feature or one specific use case. And so these residents and these operators get at fatigue if they go too much into this, right? I've got one app for maintenance. I got one app for payments. Payments. I got one app for my amenities, and they don't talk together or work together in, in kind of the right way. And so, I think we, as an industry, we've got to find a way to have still really good innovation, but have these be you know innovative platforms versus innovative features. Hmm. Yeah, that that that's how I feel about the IoT in the home. You know, you've got a lot of segmentation there and it's, it, it hurts my head and i'm like if i get that lamp it's not gonna work with anything else so well, <laughs> that's right i'll stay old-fashioned here <laughs> drives you crazy <laughs> all right uh number four for the future what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances yeah one thing we've we've seen with our customer base and we've got you know 20 years of history and data on this is um your rent payment for many people has been that one payment where you still use a check, right? If you go back two years ago, pre-COVID, and you looked at all the data across the industry, something like two thirds of residents were still paying their rent by check. And for many residents, when we talk to them, they're like, yeah, that's the whole, the only reason I have a checkbook still is, is to pay my rent. <laughs> it's the only thing I still do with it. Don't buy the groceries with it. Don't buy the presents with it. I just have it for the rent payment. And COVID's accelerating a mass kind of shift and mixed shift to digital payments. Uh, and that's continuing. Many of our customers, you know, no longer want, hey, we want a, a rental service, a rental payment service so that our residents have a digital option or digital ways to pay. That was kind of the old paradigm and old methodology. And now it's like, no, we want digital payments options so that we can cut out checks and go 100% digital. Um, and so I think the full digitization of some of these touch points, payments being the big, big example, um, or what gonna, what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to, I tend to agree and line up on that. Uh, uh, so we're going to jump into the last three. These are actually about you. Uh, before we get into those though, uh, I wanted, I wanted to get a little bit more of a sense. We, we didn't get into your background at all. Fill us in, like, how did you find yourself? CRO at Zigo. Did you, were you come up from the multifamily world, the finance world, or something a little bit of both? Yeah, no, I've I've come up through the software world actually. So, I spent the last decade of my career focused on B two B software, and before coming to Zigo for four years ago, I worked at a firm called Vista Equity Partners, uh, which is a large private equity firm that invests in uh, software companies, B two B software companies. And my role at Vista was to work with different software companies in our portfolio as an advisor. And so I worked with the CEOs on the management teams on helping them improve their businesses. Um, and having done that for a while and having done consulting for a while, I kind of got the itch to you know see if I could eat my own dog food or, or drink my own champagne, if you will, and actually move <laughs> over to the company side. Be an executive of a company and actually not just give advice, but have that accountability and, and responsibility of um, actually improving improving a software business. And that's why I came to Zigo um, four years ago, and it's been a fantastic experience since. Yeah, and obviously you, you, you've you done well uh, as, as Zigo went through an acquisition, and you were one of the people to help lead them through that acquisition uh, not that long ago. 
Uh, yeah, we uh, we actually this summer became uh, part of the Global Payments uh, family of companies. Global Payments is uh, a large publicly traded Fortune 500 um, payment and software company. Um, and so, you know, we were interested in being part of Global Payments, and there's a mutual interest because, um, you know, we serve the residential real estate industry, but Global Payments, you know, does payments for a bunch of different verticals. Um, not just domestically, but internationally. And so I think there's a view of one, one plus one equals three in this situation, because we're able to innovate on, you know, some of our software capabilities and some of our payments capabilities faster with having access to all of the global payments resources and the innovation that's happening in other sectors, as well as kind of all their international knowledge. And you mentioned earlier, hey, what markets are you in? We're in the US today, but, but global payments got a lot of knowledge Got a lot of technology and infrastructure, which will help you know help us expand in the other regions and geographies as well. Yeah, well, well, congrats on being able to get through that exit. Uh, it's a it's a challenging uh, exercise to get through, but obviously you guys pulled it off, uh, and certainly uh, I'm sure that uh, bigger things ahead of you. Wrapping up with the final three here. First one, what are you reading these days? Um. So I, I tend to read um, a, lot of, a lot of business books, actually. And uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Trillion Dollar Coach. Um, and it's by a gentleman by the name of, of Bill Campbell. Uh, Bill, Bill's got a ba- great background. He, uh, he started, out as a, started out his career as a college football coach, um, was the coach at Columbia, and got really, really good at um, – you know, coaching individuals and, and building cohesive teams. And then actually got fired, moved to Silicon Valley and became a coach for, for some of the biggest companies and individuals in Silicon Valley, whether that's, you know, Eric Schmidt at Google or, or Steve Jobs at Apple, you know, actually became their, their, their coach and advisor. Um, and he, he, you know, he probably worked and coached 20, you know, uh, Fortune 5 or, or, or just Silicon Valley technology companies, but he really knew very little about technology. And so why was he so successful? You know, he is world class at building cohesive teams and helping, you know, mm-hmm. leaders build uh, cohesive teams that cared about people, that improved people um, and uh, encouraged everybody to kind of get be good at their craft. And just kind of reading about his impact um, has been uh, has been fascinating. That's a great recommendation. Wrote that one down. Who are you learning from? Um, so along those lines, I mentioned I, I, I read a lot about kind of business. Um, in particular, you know, I'm at the CRO here, so I read a lot about kind of sales and marketing. And I talk to other executives um, at software companies around sales and marketing. Um, and so there's a there's a, a sales consulting firm that has published a series of books. I'm actually learning a lot from right now called Winning by Design. And I think the, the individual that's, that's kind of the, the, the president there, the founder there, um, is Jacob Vander uh, uh, Wise, I'll say, uh, but winning by design. Um, and then on the, um, on the marketing side, um, I'm listening to a lot of, there's a gentleman by the name of Chris Walker from Refine Labs that has a, a, a very good podcast on marketing that I'm learning a lot from right now. Very cool. Last one here. What inspires you? Ooh, good, good question. Um, so, you know, you hit, you asked about my background before where I kind of made the shift within the last four years to go from private equity to being at a company and being at a leadership role in a company. 
Um, and one of those things that I've really liked is, is working with team members and, and teammates um, on the company side that come from a variety and maybe a more diverse um, set of experiences, come from a more diverse set of backgrounds, uh, more diverse set of uh, kind of educational backgrounds, gender backgrounds, you know, um, all different types of backgrounds. And so I tend to be drawn to and inspired by, you know, those individuals that um, are really passionate about what they do. I tend to be really inspired by, you know, those folks that are really committed to getting better, better and better every day. And you can see those um, results come through in their work. And, and I tend to be really inspired by and drawn to, you know, maybe those individuals that didn't start with the best set of cards, you know, necessarily. And in spite of that, have been able to do, you know, fantastic things, kind of lift their position and, you know, improve and, and just kind of overcome and, and ultimately win. And, um, and, and that's super inspiring to me. I appreciate that last uh, answer there. Before we close out, Nick, this has been a lot of fun. I want to make sure that our listeners have an opportunity or they know best ways to get a hold of you and learn more about Zigo. Uh, where do they go to, to do so? Yeah, we've got um, our website's a great set of information on our best practices, our research. That is GoZigo, www.gozigo.com. We've also got a podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's also on our website called The Resident Experience Podcast. Um, and then we're on LinkedIn and Instagram. Look us up as Zigo, powered by Paley's. Follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. Yeah, and when you're ready to do the the resident horror stories, uh, call me up. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole podcast in and of itself. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, hey, this Nick, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for uh, spending the evening here, uh, sharing so much about your role and what Z goes up to. And uh, I'm excited to to read the report when you guys do publish that. And certainly when you have that, let me know so we can tell the audience about that. That out to everyone. Uh, but until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks so much, Nate. Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.